the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Mike Calabrese, joined by our illustrious group, Stucky, Colin Wilson, and Brett McMurphy. And we are talking about the college football playoff. It has been nine glorious seasons of a four-team playoff, one more before it rides off into the sunset and expands to 12 teams. And we're here to wax poetic on player movement, scheme changes, how college football has really gone through a revolution in terms of offenses since the 2014 season and how that impacts how we bet it. We're also going to turn to Brett McMurphy, who I will pitch it to now because he has a little bit of news about this 12-team playoff that's right on the horizon. (laughs) Yeah, well, they finally officially determined obviously it would be a 12-team playoff but I think more importantly uh, the first round games will be on campus sites the quarterfinals will be rotated within the bowls uh, the semifinals in the bowls and the championship game Um, real quickly the things that stuck out for me I don't know what you guys feel I really believe once we're like a minute into that first playoff game in 2024 and we see it on campus the common cry on Twitter will be why isn't every playoff game on campus there's a lot of issues with that logistics. Uh, you know, you only have a week lead time to schedule these games when it's a week by week playoff. I think those are excuses. And obviously the Bulls carry a lot of influence with that. The other thing, which, you know, you guys will have a better read on this, probably you the most stuck, is there's going to be some playoff games that are going to be going head to head against NFL games. And, um, I don't think that's great for college football. I don't like that. But, you know, unless you want to play Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m., you kind of got to go head-to-head with the NFL in 2024. Don't mind it. More the better. Most people have multiple TVs now. Plus, the NFL eventually is going to be on every day of the week. I mean, I just saw the schedule today. They're playing on Black Friday now. Like, there's a Black Friday afternoon game. So, like, it's inevitability. I don't care. More meaningful college football, I'm happier. Put your head, bro. I mean, it's, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Stuck. Week 18 in the NFL, like, I mean, what, we're going to decide, like, the last two seeds in each conference? Like, there's really not that much drama. I mean, the buys are pretty much wrapped up by then. It, it seems like the seeding's pretty much wrapped up usually. I mean, is college football going to cut into something important from the NFL at this time of year? There is a spot for college football, I think, to carve out when it comes to week 18 in the NFL. I'm happy. Now, the, the age-old argument is – the old guard will say there's it makes the regular season less meaningful. I think it makes the regular season more meaningful. Like there's more meaningful games overall, including conference championships. Now I get it. Like Alabama, there's not as many meaningful games. Like they're probably still going to make it, right? Like before, but like Alabama was most of the time they're getting in the college football playoff anyway. It's kind of like does the NFL playoff suck because Mahomes and the Chiefs? If Mahomes stays healthy, you know they're going to get into the playoff. Like yeah, there's going to be a couple teams that you know going into the year, are going to get into the playoff. But overall, I think there's more meaningful games in totality. And then, you know, we don't have that long break. I love it. I'm all for this 12-teamer. 
I would have been fine with eight, but uh, 12 was fine with me too. There's going to be a team that has one loss, get into the playoff, not host one of the opening round games. I'm talking Alabama, like think of Ohio State this past year, didn't win their conference, one loss, got into the playoff, gets into a scenario going into somebody's house, steamrolls a group of five game, right? And then gets all the way and wins the championship, which we've had at largest win championships with Alabama before. I mean, that's going to happen. And you get that extra rest because you didn't have to play in the conference championship game. Wouldn't you rather trade a conference championship game for going on the road against like Central Florida? Dude, you're, you can, your verbiage right now is is one of the things that's going to go off. Like we're talking about the 10-year anniversary of the Cotswold Playoff. Power five is one of the things that came of this because like they were guaranteed bowl games and the group of five had a share one. Now the whole landscape is going to shift because it's what? It's going to end up being power two, right? In a way, <laughs> power two and then group of what? Ten? Tuesday. Mike Oresco, the American Athletic Commissioner, uh, wrote a, a nearly 2,600-word open letter. I mean, by the time I finished reading this, uh, three more teams left this conference. But basically, <laughs> he was saying that there should no longer be the Power Five and the Group of Five and yada, yada, yada. I will not get into it. So I said, okay, you're right. From now on, I will refer to the conferences as Power Two, Middle Three, and the Group of Five. Um, but you're right. It's going to be different. The the top rated co- six, the top highest ranked conference champions, six of them automatically yep. get in the playoff and then six at large bids. What what Colin hit on is you're basically describing Notre Dame. Notre mm-hmm. Dame will never have to play a conference championship game. Notre Dame will never get a first round bye everyone's like, oh, my God, that's going to force Notre Dame to join a conference. They may join a conference, but not because of this. Because now they don't have to play a 13th regular season game. They don't have to play a conference championship. They still control their schedule. If they're good enough to be in the top 12 in the country, then they're probably going to host a first-round game and bring you know several millions of dollars to the South Bend community for what, in essence, is an eighth or ninth home game that season. So – that plays out perfectly for Notre Dame. And stuck to your point, absolutely, this is going to bring more interest into the regular season because now with a sixth conference champ being guaranteed a spot, the Power Five, we assume, will get those five automatic bids. So now you've got multiple conferences and multiple teams within the smaller conferences battling out to be that highest-ranked team. Um, obviously, you you know, you mentioned Alabama getting in every year. Well, they win the SEC more times than not. But now you could have two, three teams from the SEC, two, three teams from the Big Ten get in. So those late games are going to matter. You're going to have to win those late games to finish 10 and two, maybe possibly nine and three to get in a large bid. So I agree. More football is better. I'm just con- I was just more concerned about the ratings impact it could have when they go head-to-head against the NFL. What a scene it's going to be when Tulane or Troy is hosting Michigan or Bama or, God forbid, Georgia doesn't win, like, their conference championship. Like, Georgia going into Troy, like, what a gambling opportunity, too. No one is going to take the group of five home team against a Michigan or a Georgia or, hell, Tennessee would have gotten in, I think, maybe last year. Who knows? But, right, you know, I mean, what a betting opportunity. For me, that's great TV. But I wonder if the ratings will sag when you get these group of five teams to play and host. All right, yeah, are we, are, we to- are we totally positive that you say the middle three, but, like, look at the, the pack. 
whatever it is called. I guess they always keep their name. But like, are we sure that their conference champ is going to be rated higher than these the other group of what we know now as, as the group of five? So you might have a a couple group of five, and then the Pac twelve champ is not maybe us to get an at large. I love it. I think it just creates more drama. And then like the conference, the conference championship weekend now, uh, for most part, it's like there's a lot of irrelevancy on that weekend. Now there's no irrelevancy. All those games matter. And then it's going to be an electric atmosphere. And then, but there's just a less of a break between meaningful college football games, right? Instead of like waiting a month and I'm like, wait, who's on these teams again? That's what I love about it too. People are going to complain no matter what, but everyone will adjust. There's going to be lines and there's college football games. If you listen to this podcast, that's all you care about. That's all I care about. So like, yeah, people are going to complain. I love it personally. And if you don't love it, you'll get over it because you'll be on your couch with money on one of these sides and hopefully getting to the window because that's question, all that matters. A question for Brett, though, is like, are we cutting down our bowl slate? Again, this doesn't start till 2024. So basically the, from the from the bowl people I talk to, they believe that in the bowl contracts, actually they coincide with the college football playoff original 12-year deal, which we are, as Mike alluded to earlier, we are, we are now going into year 10. So we have three years left, 23, regular season 24, and then 25. I think we'll stay at 41 bowls through 2025. And then in 2026 and beyond, then I think you'll see some bowls get trimmed away because of the, the popularity of the 12-team playoff for all the reasons we said. I would be surprised if you would see any bowls go away in the next before that time because, again, they've got contracts signed. They've got conferences that are committed to their – their bowl games. Um, that's obviously there's going to be some tweaks in that because the Big 12 membership is increasing. Conference USA is decreasing. The Big 10 and SEC is increasing, you know, musical chair. So um, we will see some bowls cut back. I don't think it'll be until uh, 2026. And then stuck one thing, which Mike knows this is the group five expert. Uh, two or three years ago, if we would have had the top highest six rated conference champs make the playoff the pac 12 oregon number 25 would not have made it you would have had cincinnati out of the american and you would have coastal carolina out of the sun belt would have made the playoffs in a 12 team playoff that year the pac 12 would not have made the playoff well that's interesting yeah and best of both worlds now you get 12 team playoff and the same amount of bowls until further notice if that's the case We'll get like a, a two-win UMass in a bowl game. Like, come on, I love it. You got to love it. Brad, is there any merit to potential expansion to 16, like in the in the horizon? Is it, let's see how this goes no. first, and then is that a possibility? Or is this, you think it's going to be for the foreseeable future with 12? Yeah, Stuck, it's a possibility. But look, they're just trying to get this 12-teamer off the ground. And that, and again, it's starting in 2024. However, that's only for two years. They've agreed to go 12 beyond that. So 2026, that's when they will have a new contract unless they refer back to 2024 as far as are they all going to be on ESPN? Is it going to be ESPN and Fox? So there's a lot of things involved in that. So, yeah, could we get to 16? Absolutely. But I don't think it will be um, for another probably five to ten years being optimistic. I think they'll go with 12 see how that goes. And then, you know, if there's an outcry or just look, 16 works better. And like you mentioned, who knows what's going to happen with conference realignment. I said, you know, it's the power two, the middle three, the group five. 
in two or three years, it may be the, the power two, the middle two, the group of six. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with conference realignment in the next two or three years. Yeah, you could see other teams drop down too, like divisions. Um, but I, I personally, like I said, I wouldn't really care, but 12 feels like the max. Like 16, you're talking now over 10% of the teams, like 12% of the teams are making it. It is what it is. I'm excited. Just a few things to react to. First, I, I know the NFL is the 800-pound gorilla when it comes to TV ratings, and they just dominate a day of the week. But historically, they don't come up against other sports all that often. So a lot of this is like hypothetical. It's like, yeah, every once in a while, they're up against the Hawaii Bowl, and they crush that in terms of the ratings. But I would be interested to see how they do against a college football playoff game in a Week 18 Jets versus Browns game that doesn't matter. Like, let's let's actually find out. So I do think there's been increased confidence from college football power brokers that like it's possible to get it done. And this question, I'll I'll just throw it to Brett before we wrap on this section of it. In terms of the flexibility of potentially moving everything into week zero, because they've already kind of showed the logistics of how that can work. And I know some of the conference commissioners and ADs have paid lip service to, well, the kids have summer school class. It's like, oh, all of a sudden you care about academics. I think realistically, you could move everything to week zero and then maybe mitigate some of these NFL college football playoff head-to-head issues down the line. And then the, the last part of it, too, I saw some commentary in the past few weeks that potentially you could have a conference championship week where everyone in the conference plays. I believe we did this during the COVID year where you had the conference championship game and then everyone else who didn't play each other matching up, like in the Big Ten, the SEC. That way, there's not as much of that To me, it feels a little bit icky where it's like, oh, we didn't even want to play in the conference title game. We'd prefer to get rest and then play in the college football playoff. This way, everyone's playing that game either way. Have you heard any rumors on that front? Yeah, I mean, look, anything that you've heard, read, or thought of is obviously being thought about. In in the week zero that you mentioned, that that was brought up. They've decided to table that or delay that. Because, again, while that makes a lot of sense, you know, one of the few remaining things, that hasn't changed with college football is that the traditional Thanksgiving games, um, the traditional rivalries around that time of year. So if you go week zero, now those games get moved up a week, potentially. All we know right now is for the next three years, we're pretty much, well, we'll be set for the 12-teamer. But when ESPN and or Fox finalize whatever the future of the 12-team playoff is like you mentioned Mike that could impact where we will now be required to have a week zero um, or we will be required for all teams within a conference to play the week of the conference title games I don't really think I know that happened in COVID I believe but I don't really think that's going to happen because again these conferences want the most bang for their buck for these conference championship games that's why they're being played for money not determine who's the best in their league despite what they want to tell you so why would you dilute your product with five games that day? I guess you could say they could be lead-ins to your game. Um, but again, there's only so many TV windows. You know, for a regular season, I just don't think – I don't think that would happen. Hey, if yeah, you, mentioned, play, you mentioned not have an incentive, by the way, Mike, but incentive, like, even if – like, hey, rest. But th- that's why I think 12 works in that the top top four are going to get buys. So, like, you, you, we want to win that game, get a buy. And then if you're not, you know, maybe – necessarily guaranteed one of the top four slots and you're playing you you want to host the game so i think that there's still proper incentive for that conference championship weekend but go ahead what were you gonna say all right so the confetti falls on Jameis winston fsu beats auburn in pasadena at the rose bowl 
Jimbo's traditional, a little bit more pro style offense against the Gus bus and his hurry up, you know, fast tempo jet sweeps and everything that he had Marshall running for that offense. So those were the two kind of yin and yang of college football at the time. So much has changed schematically since the end of the 2013 season. What to you stands out from a college football perspective from 2013 to today and how much has changed in that, you know, nine plus years. I'll go to you first, Colin. The adoption of the spread. Once Saban put his flag in the ground and said, I am done with ground and pound Trent Richardson, and we're going to spread it out and go as deep as we can with double tights. Thank you, Sark, for implementing double tights into the Alabama offense. Uh, you know, once that was in, it was just like a, an explosion in college football. It was just trying to be the most explosive team down the field shades of South Florida 2013 2014 uh I think that has led to these crazy scores we just saw TCU Michigan 51 45 in a playoff game LSU scored 63 with Joe Burrow so you know I think just the offensive explosion that we've seen is great for the game I do like a good defense haven't seen one in a while right Georgia just won 65 to 7 that's a great defense but I mean still I would like a good Two defenses on the field, which I don't think we've seen in a playoff game in a while. How about you, Stuck? What stands out? Yeah, I'll say on kind of to piggyback off that, it's also Alabama in going faster, right? Not just the the spread, but it's actually the speed as well. Going back to like the Alabama ground and pound, like those teams, you know, you go to the elite, other elite teams have caught up to Alabama. But back when Alabama was the class, right? We're talking the time frame we're talking in 10 years ago. When they, their teams are so much more dominant. Imagine if they also, you know, spread it out and we're playing faster because more plays equals less variance, right? And like you just get, I have the more talented team. And, you know, Saban finally realized that all these other teams, which makes it more difficult, I think, to kind of cut off the cream of the crop at the top of college football. So, yeah, just the speed and the spread and the modernization of the game. And, and going back to the tie into the college football playoff expansion. I do think that, you know, it's it's much more difficult. And I think it's only going to get more difficult to beat these elite teams at the very top. But with college football expansion, I do – like, it's still football. It's still one game. You still got to roll the ball out there. It's still an oblong ball. I do think it'll make the futures market much more intriguing. Because over the last 10 years, who's won it? It's the same teams that we're recycling. But I remember – and it's so hard to hit a college football future. It's like you're trying to time when to buy Alabama. But like it's – there's not much value. This uncertainty, I think, brings potential investing opportunities into a market, especially early on. And I remember the only college football national title future I ever hit. Sorry, Colin, to bring this up again. I sent him a TikTok the other day. It was like TCU's the 2014 TCU's like the greatest team ever to make the college football playoff. But I bought Ohio State, uh, you know, 50 to one after they lost to Va Tech in week two. And, you know, that's a team that has the chops to. You know, you could argue that TCU probably should have got in, but they had the chops and the and the pedigree to actually go in and win it all, and they did. But I think that you know teams like that, um, you know, take an early loss, maybe even two early on, and it's a power conference team, they could still find themselves back into the mix. Whereas before, and this goes back to meaningful games, right? You lose two games early, you're cooked, done. Sometimes, sometimes one, depending on who you lose to. Now your season's still alive, depending on what the price is, and because really, when we're, we've been talking futures over the past, you know, since college football playoff expansion, very few and far. The, the, the opportunities to maybe find a long shot or someone that's just, you know, third, even third 20, 30 to one, like 
very few and far between. I think those opportunities will open up, which makes the conversation at least more interesting from a gambling perspective. Colin, do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I think you and I are back into what we did 10 years ago. Ohio State lost that game, I believe, to Virginia Tech, right? And immediately, yep. like, got to take a future because yep. the 12-team playoff, that loss is going to signify you're probably not going to have to play an extra game of the conference championship game, and you're still going to slip in. Yeah, you're going to have to go on. Yeah, it could make them even more interesting, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you and I are back on the whole, boom, took a loss, time to hit a future because there's no way this team's missing the playoff. So, yeah. Okay, before we go any further, as a reminder, Big Bets on Campus is presented by BetMGM. So get in on the action with the king of sportsbooks. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is the bonus code ACTION. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Looking at it on the other side of the ball, everything you mentioned, the spread, the up-tempo, and also RPOs tagging these passing plays on to every running concept that you have Joe Moorhead really kind of being the lightning rod for that at Penn state. And once he was able to modernize Penn state's offense so quickly and take them from kind of a plodding big 10 team to a threat to win the national championship, all with that offensive scheme, what it's done on the other side of the ball is it's reshaped how teams put together their rosters. There's no room for these, these huge 250 pound linebackers that, you know, that species of defender is dead. And now everything, there's this incredible premium placed on those hybrid defenders, the Derwin James, the Isaiah Simmons. If you can play in the box, on the edge, at the linebacker position, make plays in the secondary, then you're worth your weight in gold. And because of that, when you look at some of the best teams in the college football playoff era, most of them have a dynamic and they usually come up with like a name for them, a star rover, you know, they, they give them their own uh, custom defensive player name because they're so impactful because you can stay on the field and actually match up whether, you know, they're moving personnel in and out or if they're playing like what Georgia does this, you know, in the last two years has been unfair because they can leap hours on the field, but he essentially could be a running back, a slot receiver, wide receiver, tight end. How do you on the chessboard kind of match that? So from Nexus Nose perspective, that's what stands out. To me, that's so much different in college football today as opposed to 2013. Brett, what, what's something that stood out to you from the, the X's and O's part of the game? Uh, well, basically kind of what you guys have all touched on, but specifically more. And I talked, I was in Arizona last week and met up with a lot of coaches and ADs. And, and uh, it's the quarterback position. It's not earth shattering, but if no quarterback, no chance. I mean, maybe 
you know, back in 2014 or 15 or whatever, you could have a solid run game, a solid defense. Stucky talked about, you know, Alabama finally going fast. Lane Kiffin had to convince Saban to do that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago Saban was trying to change the rules where the offense would have to give the defense uh, a certain amount of time to line up. And when that didn't pass, uh, as Saban has done so often, he says you either adapt or you die. So he adapted. He ran up tempo with Kiffin, and it hasn't been the same. So but more specifically, and you see this with the transfer portal now, you know, you guys look at this when you look at your win totals and, and projections on a team. As far as getting a national title game, first thing you look at is quarterback. And if they don't have a quarterback, it's like, yeah, I, you know, do I really want to take a chance on that? So I think that's been the biggest difference is the quarterback is worth so much more to a team. The old Grayson McCall is worth 10 points to the spread, right? Yeah, I mean, the, look at Alabama, the progression of their quarterbacks. I mean, like, when they were win- winning, like just handing it to Trent Richardson a million times, relying on their D, like the best quarterback to come into the draft was like A.J. McCarron. And now look, it's like a top 10, top five pick every year. But yeah, I think a, a team that really encapsulates what we're talking about is Syracuse. Like if you go back to when Dino Babers first arrived at Syracuse, one of their competitive advantages was going super fast, right? Like we're going to we're gonna have to play as many plays as humanly possible and defenses aren't ready for it. They don't see it a lot. They don't practice against it. Fast forward to the last couple of years at, it's not really that big of a competitive advantage anymore. Every, everyone is doing it. So the credit to Syracuse last year, I mean, they went to more RPO and they weren't just about like, let's go as fast as possible. And you know, they kind of had uh, a little bit of a, a resurgent year. But that's one of the things like the having that competitive advantage for th- those things are, it's harder to find. That's why I'm, I'm so upset that Army is abandoning the triple option because that was one of the few left that still had merit. Everyone's going faster. We're going to just play this crazy style and uh we're only down to two but whatever i'm not going to talk about that again until later a perfect perfect example is specifically the playoff clemson with sean watson and trevor lawrence and clemson without either quarterback look at the difference in their success Mm -hmm. yep let me just yeah just to hop in real quick because i have thoughts on player movement impacting quarterback play in general across all of fbs So these are some stats that I found to be really interesting. Uh, ESPN started doing their QBR metric, which isn't perfect, but it's, you know, a a nice barometer for overall quarterback play. They started in 2004. Here's a quick, here's a quick question for the group. How many of those quarterbacks scored 70 or higher on their QBR out of, I believe at the time there was like 124 schools. So in 2004, how many and 70 more or less is like a B plus or better quarterback. How many do you think out of 125 ish? In 2004? Yep. In college football? In college football. Uh, I'm going to say 13. Hmm. Colin, what do you think? I was going to say 12. So no, I'll keep going lower. I'll say nine. Right, you guys were circling it. 11 quarterbacks. It went up every single year for about six years. And 2004 to 2013, the average was 22 and a half per year. Then the playoff era begins. They have some of those graduate transfer rules that come into effect. From 2014 to 2018, it jumps to 34. And now with the transfer portal heating up and everybody can leave and you know have instant eligibility, it's up to 36 from 2019 to 2022. So that's a big impact in terms of the overall quality of the sport, in my opinion, 
where you can have every single conference has three or four really good quarterbacks. And a lot of the power conferences, you know, if you don't have an answer there, you may as well just fire your coach and start all over again. But the beauty of it is that you can plug and play. You can grab somebody out of the portal. You can take someone who historically 20 years ago would have sat behind a starter for two or three years. Now he can be your guy day one as a freshman or registered freshman. So I just thought that was really interesting from a player movement perspective. Let me say, I just looked, I just looked up that year. Stefan LaForce was number one. Colin, your boy, Matt Jones, number five. Oh God, Matt Jones is a God. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll end on about from a college football, how it's changed. And I'm going to say something that sounds sacrilegious, but it might be brilliant. And I think success rate is dead. And I, I, I can't, Colin Wilson would never say that four years ago, right? But when Arkansas hired Barry Odom, the big knock on him was when he was at Missouri, we'll rush three and drop eight, drop eight coverage, drop eight coverage. That's all we're going to do. And now you look around college football and every defensive coordinator is given up the middle of the field. They don't care about the middle of the field. They will drop seven, drop eight. You look at Georgia winning the national title because they only had to rush four. The best defenses can get pressure with three or four. And almost, I'd say 80% of the defensive coordinators do not give a shit about the 40 or the 50-yard line. They will give up the middle of the field to protect within the 40 and get their finishing drives and rather stop the score. And so now when you have offenses that move this fast, because Saban decided to do this, and now everybody goes flash fast, right? That makes these defenses only able to not even get a blitz in, get a play call in, or you know change up, you know, are we going to crossers at the defensive interior? Now it's just rush three or four, drop seven or eight. And I think that kills success rate numbers. It's phony success rate numbers because you're just giving up the middle of the field. So I've said that a couple of years now with these with these spread offenses and, and the tempo. These defensive coordinators just care about stopping the score. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's dead, but I, I don't necessarily fully disagree with you. I think that it's definitely now uh, in, its importance is has diminished, and the importance of you know preventing explosive plays, creating havoc. Those are where defensive coordinators and teams are putting more of their focus. So, but I think that there's, and I was actually thinking about this as one of the things I want to look at off season is there's definitely like a, um, a hybrid success rate of when it matters, depending on where you are on the field, you know, it's mixing in like finishing drives and havoc. So there's, there's, there's definitely some opportunity there from a analytics metric standpoint that we'll probably touch on as we get closer to the season, but we don't want to get too much in the weeds today, but I think there it's a will, really, really good point, Colin. There will be a research piece. I did one last year. Uh, does finishing drives equate to against the spread of victory? And the answer is absolutely yes. So yeah. we'll see if success rate matters. One more point to hit on is, you know, through the lens of 2014 to today in the 14 playoff era, a gambling trend that stands out to you or one that you've either mined yourself, you've tailed, just have the warm fuzzies for because it's made you a lot of money. For me, it's shocking how few upsets there are at the very top of the polls. So from 2001 to 2012, nine unranked teams beat the number one team in the country. Since then, it's happened one time. And that's when A&M upset Alabama. Now, a big part of that is the Saban and Kirby smart effect and kind of how they've taken the roster building to a different level. But also when you start to look at the top five, there's also a huge difference in terms of the overall upset. So since the start of the 2019 season, four years worth of games, we've only seen nine top five upsets by unranked teams. 
And thanks to our Action Labs, you know, data treasure trove, you know, we can go all the way back to 2005. There was twice as many of those upsets from 05 to 13, 38 of them in nine years. So you really have seen kind of a stabilizing factor at the top of the polls. It still happens from time to time. But in terms of me building my card and taking those kind of wild money line shots, I've kind of really reeled it in just because you're not seeing them hit. As I mentioned, there was nine top five upsets in the last four years. Iowa was one of them. I don't think anybody was buying in on Iowa at that point in the season. Michigan State also was upset by Purdue. Purdue scoring two in the same year. So really, it's just, to me at least, there's been kind of a dearth of these wild upsets that we really saw in the mid-aughts. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I don't disagree. I think it might only continue. But my mine is, I'll go back to an old reliable. It has to be service academies and underdogs. I've seen how people model these things. I don't even know how to necessarily model them either as far as like your your basic model. When you're going up against a service kind of team, like take, for example, success rate. It doesn't matter. Like three yards is fine for them. Um, so underdogs, especially double-digit underdogs, I don't know who knows how many more we'll get, but we'll get one against uh, Notre Dame. They're 60, 65%. It makes sense why, and it makes sense why the market hasn't adjusted. Because there's so, you know, there's only a couple a year and – how everyone is setting odds. Talk to, I talked to linesmakers, some of the most respected in the world. They still don't know how to set these, even the totals, because like, they're just a, such a unique style. And then we'll translate that in the postseason, our favorite time of the year, bowl season. Service academies and bowls, they're always going to show up. A lot of it's about motivation. Still true to this day. Uh, I think it's 71% over the past 40 years. So service academy is always near and dear to my heart and my shoulder with Army-Navy helmet. So, yeah, of course, I got to stay on brand and say that, Colin. Mine is the semifinals of the playoff. The spread never matters. It never matters. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking at all the scores right now, and we're riding this pretty high until Georgia beat Ohio State by one point this last year. But before that, I mean, if, if you were a favorite, you always covered or you lost outright. The spread was never – it was never an underdog covering and losing the game. And, I mean, I can go back to Alabama beating Washington 24-7. to Spread was 16-and-a-half, Right. It didn't matter. And, you know, if I look at all these games, if you're a favorite, you either won outright or you lost outright. So there was no need to ever in a semifinal game take an underdog unless you were going to take the money line. Uh, and that, I mean, I, I'll keep writing that this year. Not sure how it's going to work with a 12-team playoff. But, you know, even with Ohio State showing up, I think that's a one-off, especially considering we all considered Ohio State good enough to be in the playoff against Georgia. But all the other years, complete blowouts in the semifinals. I would also add – this is very we'll have to talk about this year this year but always fade arkansas against bobby petrino anyway well we have more time to get to that in the future brett any gambling trends that uh you've been able to take advantage of yeah i mean this is um i guess more straight up than uh against spread and it will only work for this season and then the 12 team playoff comes and this will be useless but, it, Mike, it's kind of something you hit on, on the lack of upsets. Um, so we've had nine years in the playoff. At the point of the season where there are four weeks left in the regular season, of uh, the teams that made the playoff at that point in the season, four weeks left in the season, 30 of the 36 teams were ranked in the top six at that time. In other words, nobody's going to come storming back from 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 for the most part. So 30 out of 36. With four weeks to go, your top four is out of those top six. You want to take it a couple of steps further. The week before the conference title game, so the regular season is, is complete. Every single team that has made the playoff 
ranked in the top six going into conference championship weekend. So if you think your number seven team or eight team has a chance, the reality is there's too many bodies to climb over and you're not going to make it. Of the 36 teams that have made the playoff, only two ranked number six going into conference title game weekend and only four ranked at number five. So that means the remaining 30 teams were already in the top four, kind of what you were touching on, Mike. There aren't a lot of upsets, but I think it's a it's kind of a combination. There haven't been a lot or any upsets in the SEC title game as they're usually the top-ranked team. And two, there's just too many bodies to climb over to climb up that far, um, even in 2014. You know, Ohio State, they were fifth. And, the, and TCU plummeted. So they were in position. People just didn't expect TCU to fall from three to six. But again, if you're wanting to play on a potential national title team, when you get into the month of November, I would recommend not taking anybody outside the top six. Your odds are going to be great, but, you know, just send it to me. I'll book it for you because they're not going to win the national title. And that's a great transition into any potential futures. I don't have any now. I'll see if I can avoid going to Vegas this summer and uh, not getting drunk and firing on futures, national title futures, I should say, because I just pulled out of my desk a pile of uh, every year I go, and then I'll buy what I, Last year, Arizona State, 200 to 1. Give me a break. Like, why? 200 to win 30 grand. You know what? You know what? It was 200 to win zero dollars. Just sit. It actually at least it provided this little piece of content worth maybe three cents. So I have no futures yet. I'm just taking notes now, and I'll get in during the summer, and we'll have, obviously, all of our preview episodes. So, Con, I don't know if you have any win totals, futures, or some, just at least one. I know people can go check out all the stuff on the Action Network app and follow on there, but is there something that's still out there that um, you feel really passionate about you want to bring up? Well, I, I mean, I've taken LSU and Clemson futures so far. LSU was the first one out of the gate after the national title. I I, I am so excited to see Harold Perkins. Uh, they have That defense around him is going to be as good as him. Uh, they're loaded at quarterback, no matter who they choose, where they go. It's, I think, the most talented team in the SEC West. The news out of Bama is not making me feel like they're going to be able to hold up and give LSU any competition. So I, I'm happy with my LSU national title futures. As far as win totals, I think I got seven or eight in the app, power five. I am fully prepared for a group of five to hit the board at at one of the, you know, one of the books. And once it does, I'll, I'll load up the app with, with more of those and, and I'll keep pushing out uh, these nice png photo uh pictures of each team's summary and their their win totals yeah those are great yeah i i I did it really for us so that when we podcast it's like we got a great summary right here you know we i mean it's um now that the portal's closed for good i'm ready to fire on as many win totals as possible and start making some conference future bets oh and we'll save this for next pod i did fire on texas plus 150 to win the big 12 uh the yeah, we'll talk about that next spot. Oh, by the way, this Arizona State was from two years ago, not last year. I want to clarify that. And then Iowa State. By the way, Iowa State to win it all. Now, now Purdy's like, oh, he's a locked NFL starter. Where was this? And the year I thought that they were going to potentially go to the college football playoff, Brock. I know, but now he comes in in January and he's fine. Like, what? what I mean, I see, I was on to something before anybody. Unfortunately, it just cost me money. Uh, it's two more things, just quick. Um, I like Penn State to win the Big Ten. I'm still waiting here in Pennsylvania for that number to hit. They're 25 to one to win the national title. So anywhere north of five to one, 
I think this holistically could be Franklin's best roster. Aller is the missing piece. I know it's a gamble, but he has all the pedigree. He showed off the arm strength. He can do things and stretch the defense in ways that Clifford couldn't last year. And their offensive line has an opportunity to be special. They got top 10 pick at left tackle. They got three other seniors on the line, really like their backfield. Um, so I, I like Penn State. I also like the way the schedule shakes out. It, it's not clumped together in terms of their difficult games. If you want a flyer. You've been hanging out with Ryan Allen lately a lot. I, I have not. And, and if you know me, I there's no love loss for me and the, the Nittany Lions. So for me to pull the trigger on them for the first time in my gambling career from a futures perspective, I'm really gritting my teeth putting that bet in. But if you want to talk about a flyer, how about Duke 40 to one to win the ACC? The arguably the biggest game in the history of Duke football and their opener against Clemson. They win that game. All of a sudden, things get really manageable from a hedge perspective. They arguably have the most consistent quarterback in the ACC right now. Jordan Travis has a much higher ceiling, Kate Klubnick, higher ceiling, but we saw Riley Leonard all season last year and they pistol whipped UCF in the bowl game. So I don't know. I, I think that's mispriced. I think that's just on name brand alone. Uh, real quick on my, my future play, mm. whatever play you, you decide on. Stetson Bennett graduated. Stetson graduated. So we need, we need another uh, Heisman long shot, right? Uh, at least he won his conference title, unlike all your national title picks. Parlay it with Caleb Williams will not win the Heisman. Uh, you will you will add some more bang for your buck. And then finally, one question from our audience. Our listener, JT Sparks, would like to know, if you took every college football playoff champion 2014 to 2022, you put them in a little playoff, who's coming out number one? His guess is 2019 LSU. I'll kick it to Brett first. Who are you picking to come out on top of the heap of the playoff champions? Uh, Mike, it would have to be LSU. But my God, Georgia's team last year with, yes, yeah, Stetson Bennett, he should have won the Heisman. When he's sober, he's the best quarterback out there. You know, that defense, that that would be too bad. You know, at some point, I guess we can get AI to kind of match up those, those teams to see what would have happened. But um, that defense against Joe Burrow, uh, get your popcorn. I would, man. I know recency bias. I would have to. I'd have to lean towards Georgia last year. It's, I'll, it's take, I'll take LSU because I don't care if Burrow's drunk or sober. He's winning that game, so I'm riding with Burrow. I'm that 2019 team. You people forget. Like Georgia could have lost on a field goal. Like if Ohio State makes a field goal, that Georgia team goes down last year, right? From a very good kicker. That LSU team. I remember trying to adjust my power ratings. And then I just said, I'm going to just bet them in the national title. I couldn't adjust them fast enough. I faded this Georgia team in the semifinals successfully. So that's where, like, that LSU team wasn't being touched. Like, they were – and I, I just you, they were just blowing everyone's rating systems out of the water. And uh, I'll take Burrow over Bennett. Two quick things here. One, that LSU defense gave up 38 to Texas, 37 to Ole Miss, and 41 to Bama that season. I, I, their offense preach, is, preach, is, preach. is untouchable. That offense. The what, did, what did C, what did CJ Stroud do to Georgia's day? Uh, well, how about the twenty twenty one Georgia team? Because the entire twenty twenty one Georgia defense, every starter got drafted in the NFL. So I would roll with that team if you're making an argument to potentially. I, I agree that LSU nineteen should be the number one seed in this thing. Which thank you, Brett, for bringing this up. Currently working on a book 
where I'm simulating the 68 best college football teams since 1980. That should hopefully, if everything works out right, it'll come out before the college football season starts. But LSU 19 is a one seed for me, 95 Nebraska, 01 Miami, and 04 USC. Those are the four number ones. But yeah, so just, you're agreeing. It's you're, so you're agreeing. It's that they yeah the one. You're agreeing that it would be them, right? I, I agree that they deserve to be number one of the college football playoff champions. I just there's something about that 2021 Georgia team defensively and Stetson Bennett playing so well in crunch time his entire career. I, I think if they matched up hypothetically, LSU's what a two and a half, three point favorite on neutral field. So I think they're a slight favorite in that game. An odds maker that I respect said that uh, LSU 2019 would have been two and a half point favorites over the Georgia team that just played. So I remember from my power ratings that have been like one and a half. So obviously I would lean LSU, but I'm nervous because that is the same Dave Aranda defense. that gave up 30 to Vandy, but Stuck is right. This Georgia team did give up 41 points to CJ Stroud. Um, so I, I think it would go down to the wire, but, uh, you know, I'd stick with the odds makers and say that uh, LSU wins by two. Anyway, the difference in that game, Calabrese, is Clyde Edwards-Lar. And the reason is because Georgia played so much quarters coverage. They would back everybody off about 12 yards back off the line of scrimmage. And the ability for Burrow to dump off there at the line of scrimmage, it would be completely just a game changer. Yeah. Can we also look, I a lot of respect for that Georgia day. LSU went undefeated. That 2021 Georgia team did not. They got blown out in a game and they beat Clemson 10 to three on like a pick six early in the season. I just don't think that that Georgia offense would have kept up ultimately. Just, just to play devil's avocado one last time, that Georgia defense gave up single digit points per game. And when you factor in their defensive scores, their net was like minus three per game. So I, I agree that as the season went on, they got better offensively. I'll also throw one more team in the ring. 2018 Clemson, I think for some reason is getting lost to history. They got Trevor Lawrence. The receiving core was probably the best that it's been since Mike Williams left uh, Clemson. They had Etienne. And then they have the Power Rangers on the defensive line, and it's kind of what Colin was talking about this whole episode. They can drop seven guys and get to the quarterback in that situation. So I also think schematically, personnel-wise, they were a good matchup. They'd still be an underdog the 2019 LSU, but I think that'd be an interesting head-to-head as well. Yep. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. For Stucky, Brett, and Colin, I'm Mike Calabrese. Thanks so much for listening. My little show, the Group of Five Deep Dive with Mike Ionello, will be sure to give plenty of love to the Group of Five because they're much maligned at this point. They're just getting raided. They're organ donors to the rich and giving up all their best teams to the Power Five. But there's going to be some interesting races in there this upcoming season, so we'll be sure to dig through everything to give you as much value as possible. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Peace out. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.